Well, good morning, church family. It is fantastic to be with you this morning. I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 19. It's where we're going to be this morning. And as we say every week, if you are a guest and uh, you need a Bible, maybe you don't own a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. And I invite you to find your place there, Acts 19. We're continuing through this New Testament book of Acts and following along with the Apostle Paul. We find our place in Acts 19 this morning. As I was listening to those songs we were singing there, just incredible uh, worship this morning and singing truth. And again, just want to thank the team for how they lead us in praise and worship to sing truth. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. It occurred to me, and I was sitting there trying to put this into words to say that I think there's something that's characteristic of every believer That even as we sing those songs, every believer yearns and really desires to be part of something that's absolutely transformational. Meaning I think it's it's just something within us, the Spirit of God within us. We want to be part of a church and we want to be part of a movement and we want to be part of a ministry where the lives of people are truly being changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Right? We want to be a part of that. You're here and that resonates with you. That's the Spirit of God within you. Even beyond that, I think every believer in our own lives, we we yearn and desire to sense that God is in the transforming, continuing to transform even our own lives, right? We desire to have this sense that there's a transformation of God, that we're we are being transformed from what we used to be into what we're becoming into Christ's likeness. We are battling with sin, and we are growing and making Him known, and we are growing in love, and we're growing in all of these things we read about in Scripture that can be true of us as the people of God. But if we're really honest with each other, and I'm going to be really honest with you this morning, I have a problem with the gaps. The gaps for me personally, and I think for all of us that we can resonate with, are when we go to Scripture and we read some of these incredible truths and realities and life-changing things that happen in the lives of people. Even as we've been walking through the book of Acts and we've seen God do so many incredible things and transform the lives of people, we read these transformational things that are happening, and then maybe we look at our own lives and we see some gaps. Amen? You may read you may relate to that, or is it just me this morning? We read about Priscilla and Aquila last week in Acts 18, where they experienced such dynamic Christian, or Christian community that, that Paul was encouraged, and he was brought up even out of his weariness by that Christian fellowship. And we read that, and we, if we're real honest, we struggle to even make it to life group. <laughs> And we're not sure we even like everybody in our life group, right? We think they're just kind of weird. We, we struggle with some of these things. We see how Paul traveled thousands of miles to make Jesus known. And you and I sometimes struggle to get next door to share Jesus with our neighbor. If we're real honest, this struggle. And we, we want to believe and we want to know that God is in the transforming business in our church and in our community and in our lives. We long for that. So as we follow along with the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we, we come to the city of Ephesus. 
If you remember, Paul's been traveling through Asia and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. You can go ahead and put that map up if you don't mind. Show some of the cities where Paul has been over in Asia Minor. He's come down through Antioch and Philippi and Thessalonica. We looked at those over the past few weeks. Last week, we left Paul. He was in Corinth. And even as I was preparing for this morning, I thought how ironic it was that we were studying through the city of Corinth last week. Remember, kind of kind of sin city in that day. We looked at that last week and then we were all shocked of the news that came out of sin city Las Vegas just a week ago. And if I can be again totally honest with you this morning, there's a little piece of my heart that's there in Las Vegas this morning knowing that after an incredible tragedy that took place, there are hundreds of churches meeting across the valley. Hope Church that I got to be a part of, my family got to be a part of them as one of them. And people are coming together. And I received a text from one of the pastors this morning at Hope and said, Brother, you got to know the city of Las Vegas has been prayed for more this week and it's in, it's in its history. And what we're waiting for God to do is the people of God gather in that city this morning. So I, my mind's kind of there and I'm thinking about that. And if you want to check out an elder letter that we put together this week of ways we can pray and ask God to do some incredible things, I encourage you to check out our elder letters. So Paul travels from Corinth and now he goes east. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he stops in the city of Ephesus. Now Ephesus is located there in what was Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, the city of Ephesus. And what Paul experiences and what comes out of that city is some of the most transformational life-shaping ministry that occurs anywhere that we read about in the travels of Paul in the book of Acts. So I want us to look at the ministry that was going on in the book of Acts, specifically chapter 19, and apply some of these things to our lives. So I'm going to start in chapter 18, in verse 18. We're going to get Paul from Corinth to Ephesus. Scripture says this, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters there. That's a beautiful statement. There's now a church that exists in Corinth that wasn't there before. Paul leaves those brothers and sisters and sails for Syria. He's en route to Jerusalem. He's en route to Antioch. He's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. I love that. Remember we saw that last week. Those are the brothers and sisters that came down from Rome. And they so encouraged Paul Paul spends an, a, a year and a half there in Corinth, and now he's on his way, and Priscilla and Aquila come with him. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He, went, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with some of the Jews there. And then Paul continues on, if you follow the rest of the story, Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes on to Jerusalem, and then a few months later, he circles back and comes back to the city of Ephesus. Now, what we're going to look at this morning is really two chapters in the book of Acts, 19 and 20, are dedicated to the ministry that takes place in the city of Ephesus. And I want us to look at that this morning. I want us to see some things that characterize that life-shaping ministry and even challenge our own lives this morning. So, What were some characteristics? I'm going to flip on over to 19 now. You can turn to Acts 19. What were some of the characteristics of Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus? Now, we know about Ephesus. It was one of the most influential and important cities in the Roman world. Uh, We know about the city of Ephesus, that it was 
It was best known for what was called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, they had these games there that were kind of like the Olympics, but not exactly, where thousands and thousands of people came to Ephesus on a yearly basis. It was the banking center. It was the most influential city in Asia Minor. So Paul comes back to Ephesus and is going to plan his life there for a little while. So let's read verse 8 of chapter 19. And he entered into the synagogue, he's now in Ephesus, and continued speaking out boldly for three months. Reasoning and persuading them, the Jews, about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, Paul withdrew from them and took away some of the disciples and began to be reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now what does that mean? Well, in the city of Ephesus there was a huge theater it was used in the morning by evidently this fellow Tyrannus. Paul took it in the afternoon. And Paul began a teaching ministry from this hall or school of Tyrannus right there in the middle of Ephesus. Now listen to verse 10. I love this. This took place for two years. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Both Jews and Greeks. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, my blood just kind of begins to boil. And I think about, okay, Paul plants his life here in the city of Ephesus. A church is born, and from this church, the Bible says all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, specifically what Luke is talking about here as he writes, he's talking about that region of Asia called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. From that city of Ephesus, there was incredible impact that went out from this teaching ministry of Paul and this healthy church that was there. The church at Colossae that we'll read about later was birthed from the church at Ephesus. If you know the book of Revelation, the, the circuit that Jesus writes to, the letters to the churches that begins with Ephesus, goes through Smyrna and Thyatira and Philadelphia and all these churches, those churches most likely started out of the ministry of Ephesus. So there's a massive impact that comes from this church at Ephesus. And if you're, if you're a member of this church, we just presented new members, you, You've got to hope and continue to pray, Lord, let our church have that kind of impact that the ends of the earth hear from the influence and the work that you're doing here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Next week, you're going to see a little taste of that at this. I'll go ahead and give you a little a snippet of what we're going to do next week. Pastor Derek is going to be back with us preaching next week out of Acts 20, and you're going to hear a little bit of an update of the Oaks Church and the church that we get to be a part of planning in the city of Denver over the next few months. So, Lord, let us be this kind of church that, that would impact an entire continent like the church here in Ephesus. So there was a ministry of impact. Now, keep going. What else was the ministry in Ephesus like? Well, let me read you another passage. You don't have to turn there. While Paul was in Ephesus, he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. He writes back to the church at Corinth. So we know something about the ministry that he had there in Ephesus by the letter he writes from 1 Corinthians. So I want to read you a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. Paul writes and he says, But I will remain on in Ephesus until Pentecost. The Jewish holiday was coming up. And here's how he describes the ministry there. And I want this to encourage us this morning. 
He says, there is a wide door for effective service has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. Paul describes the ministry there in Ephesus that we already saw that literally impacted the world. And he says, there's a wide door of effective ministry open for me here, but there are many, many adversaries. Brothers and sisters, if if you this morning are a disciple-making disciple... And you are desiring that your life makes an impact in the lives of other people like something like the Apostle Paul. I hope this verse encourages you because effective ministry will be an opposed ministry. There will be adversaries. Paul writes and he says, in effect, man, great things are happening here in Ephesus. God is moving. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he says, there are many adversaries. Now, what were some of those adversaries? In 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, Paul also writes about the ministry at Ephesus. He says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Parentheses, Ephesus, Asia Minor. He said, while we were there in Ephesus, we were under great pressure. Paul, again, describing the ministry, he says, there's this constant weight upon me here. Those of us, you included, whether you're life group guide, whether you're study group teacher, whether you're just wanting to make disciples, whether you're fighting sin in your own life, whatever it is, there is this weight of pressure upon us in this world as we desire to see God change lives, including our own. Paul says there's this Wait upon me. He says, far beyond our own ability to endure so that we despaired even of life itself. You see, that sounds a little bit like his ministry at Corinth that we looked at last week where Paul was so weary. Well, this is a couple years later. He's in Ephesus now. Some of the characteristics of being involved in genuine life-shaping ministry don't change no matter where you are. Paul says, look, we face so many obstacles And we face so many challenges there in Ephesus. He says, it was far beyond our own ability to endure so that we despaired of even life itself. Then you say, Paul, that sounds extreme, but I'll just tell you. If you're desiring to be used by Jesus in the lives of other people, you're going to experience some things similar to this. Now listen to what Paul says. He continues on. But he says, this happened. I love this. This is so encouraging. This is going to be helpful for you this morning. He says, we had received, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. He said, ministry got so hard in Ephesus, we thought we were under the sentence of death. Is there good that can come out of that? Watch this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And if you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to underline that passage. Paul is saying this. Listen, brothers and sisters. Those who desire to be a part of a life-impacting ministry in the lives of others, whatever shape that may take. Listen, that's true of parents who are trying to disciple their children using the family discipleship plan or whatever it may be. This is true of you who are trying to take the gospel to your neighbors where you live, work, and play. Whatever this looks like of investing in the lives of people, whatever it is. Listen. Paul says there are going to be times where you feel like you just don't cut it. There's going to be times where you sense your capacity just isn't enough to carry out the ministry that God has assigned to you. Can anybody relate to that? 
And Paul says the good that comes out of that is this. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. That is so encouraging this morning. A couple of life applications for you. Here's life application number one. Effective ministry is often opposed ministry. You, can be, you will be able to resonate with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16. God may be opening doors of effective service for you. You are investing. You see, you see God doing great things. But no, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulties. And there'll be times where you say, I just cannot cut it. I don't have what it takes. And here's the bottom line. You're right. <laughs> but Paul says every one of those situations that he places us in where we feel helpless, where we feel like we can't take the next step, where we feel like things are not working out the way we wanted, those gaps are there. Those gaps are there in our ministry. Those gaps are there in our life. It is to steer us to deeper, deeper, deeper dependence on the Lord God Almighty, who, by the way, can raise the dead. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? Paul says his ministry in Ephesus, it was characterized by opposition. But he said, out of that opposition, I learned to depend deeper and deeper on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. So it was an impacting ministry. It was a ministry that was characterized by opposition. And thirdly, it was a ministry in Ephesus. And I want you to see this, and then we'll walk through the text quickly. But it was a ministry that was characterized by the Word of God. If you read chapter 19 on your own, and I hope you have, if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and read it, or really, especially in the city of Ephesus, you see that a dynamic of Paul's ministry there is just the saturation of God's Word, the saturation in his own life, the saturation of this teaching ministry, a saturation into the life of the disciples there. Man, it is built around the truth of God's Word, God's revelation. Let me show you a few examples. Acts 19, we read that just a few minutes ago, but I want to highlight this. It says, as Paul was there ministering, it says, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia, what? Heard the word of the Lord. Paul was faithful to teach God's word and to hold out God's word. And when groups met, they gathered around God's word and individuals were pursuing God's word. There was this saturation of the truth of God's word in this ministry. Acts 19.20 says this, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. As Paul continued to be there and the word continued to take center stage, if you will, the word of the Lord continued to, to be mighty and prevail there in Ephesus. Now we'll look at this a little bit closer next week so you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 20, Paul is talking to the elders at the church at Ephesus, and he talks about his ministry, and he says this. He says, you know the kind of ministry I had there. You know the kind of ministry that was at Ephesus. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. So you read that, and you say, okay, there's this ministry in Ephesus. I want you to get this. There was this ministry in Ephesus. It was impactful. It was impactful. Impacted all of Asia Minor. 
It was opposed, man. There was difficulties and there were challenges and there was opposition. But it was this word-saturated ministry that the word was held out and the word was being taught and the disciples were pursuing the word and it was going house to house, man. Paul didn't just teach in this place called the, you know, the Temple of Tyrannus or the Theater of Tyrannus. He went house to house and they were meeting in life groups and study groups and small groups and over coffee and whatever. But the consistent thread, watch this, watch, this is so good. The consistent thread was truth. God's truth. What, what is the consistent characteristic of life transforming ministry in your life and in the lives of the people you want to serve and minister and lead, whether they're five years old or 50 years old? There's this thread of God's truth that's pulled through out the ministry. We see that in the ministry of Ephesus. Now, that's kind of all introduction, a little bit, okay? So hang on. I, what I want to do now for just the next few minutes is I want to show you two things that happen in the city of Ephesus as an outcome of this ministry around the Word of God. And I think they're going to resonate with you, and I think they're going to resonate with our church a little bit. So go back to Acts 19. We're going to read just a few verses here. And I want to show you two things that were, that were the outcome of this word-saturated ministry, and this is what I want for you and what we want for our church this morning, okay? Acts 19.1, let's go back there. Let me show you a couple things. The first thing we're going to see is this. In a word-saturated ministry, transforming faith in Jesus replaces external dead religion. <laughs> Transformational faith in Jesus replaces external dead religion. Look at, look at verse 1. It happened while... Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and comes to Ephesus. So we're backing up a little bit. And he found some disciples, verse 1. The word disciple in the Bible doesn't necessarily always mean a fully devoted follower of Jesus. The word disciple means a learner. So he runs into these learners who you'll see are not fully devoted to Christ yet. Verse 2, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no. We've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, verse 3. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John. That's John the Baptist. John's baptism. Paraphrase, in a sense, what Paul is saying to these 12 men that he bumps into as he comes to Ephesus is he says, okay, are you guys, are you followers? Do you know Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ? And they say, well, and he says, is the Spirit of God alive in your life? All characteristics of knowing Jesus. And they say, we didn't even know there was a Spirit. I mean, what we did is we followed what we knew and we were baptized into John's baptism. Their confidence in whether or not they were a follower or a believer was in the baptism of John verse 4 Paul says okay but you're going to understand something about John's baptism John's baptism John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him that is in Jesus now listen this is very important for some of you in this room Paul says, you got to understand that baptism of John that you were taught back in the day, so to speak, you got to understand what it was for. 
The baptism of John was to come before Jesus. You remember in the, in the Gospels when John the baptizer was baptizing, that's where he got his name from. He was a precursor of Jesus and he was pointing the people to the fact that one was coming after him. The baptism of John was a baptism of saying, we need a Savior. It was a baptism of repentance, Paul says. And they're saying, man, we're holding on to this baptism of John. That's all we knew. Verse 4, Paul says again, this was only to tell the people of Jesus that was coming. John's baptism was a recognition of your need. It was to prepare for the one who saves. Now listen, this is where it's going to be practical to some of you in this room. These 12 men, when Paul gets to Ephesus, some of the first men he meets, watch this. They were clinging to something as their hope of salvation that did not have the power to save. Paul encounters 12 individuals and they say to him, Paul, we've been baptized with John's baptism. We did what we were told to do in a sense. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't even understand what that's all about. He goes on to verse 5. Actually, before we get to verse 5, let me tell you why this is so important. It's possible, and listen, I lived there for many years of my youth. It's possible and actually common for individuals to have some degree of their own brokenness. They realize their need for something, but often because of shallow teaching or incomplete evangelism, a person takes maybe a step toward Christ, but never fully embraces Christ. In other words, it's easy for us to put our confidence and our faith in something we believe saves, but doesn't save. Let me give you an example. I can't tell you the conversations that I have had and that I continue to have. And I'll ask some, someone, are you a believer or do you know Christ? Are you, are you saved, if you will? And they'll say something like this. Yes, I prayed a prayer when I was 10. Okay. Or something like this, I was baptized when I was 14 or 40 or whatever the case is. Or this, I hear this all the time. Yeah, I walked an aisle when I was 11 years old. Now, is there anything inherently wrong with any of those things? No, but you got to understand, and let me be as clear as I can be with you. Walking an aisle in a church or at a convention or at a rally or whatever it is does not have the power to save you from sin. Praying a prayer doesn't have the power to save you from sin and give you new birth from the inside out. The waters of baptism, joining a church are all good things, but none of those have the power to transform someone and bring them from death to life. Only Jesus Christ can do that, right? But there is a deception that occurs often in religious church cultures that we easily hold to some of these things as we think are the source of our salvation. Listen to me. No, only Christ. If the only thing you have at this moment to assure you of your salvation is that you walked an aisle 20 years ago, it is questionable whether or not you've truly been born again. Paul goes on in verse five, verse 5 and he says this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Meaning, 
They followed in believers' baptism not because it saved them, because now they were publicly saying, our faith is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And you say, well, I've never done that. What's that all about? When this age, in this day, that was simply an outward manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of God. Those who truly repent and know Christ and trust Christ by faith alone, the Spirit of God comes to indwell that person immediately. And here's your life application. Let me say it this way, and we'll move on. Genuine salvation is experienced only through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. And, say and, there's more, hang on. And is accompanied by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit resulting in the fruit of a changed life. In other words, those who truly know Christ and have been born again are clinging only to Jesus. You were clinging to Jesus 20 years ago when you walked an aisle, and you're clinging to Jesus now. It is faith in Jesus that saves. But listen, the presence of the Spirit of God in your life will result in change over time. And if the evidence of that change is not there, then the conclusion is the Spirit of God was never there. And you have no right to claim that you know Jesus. For your good, I'm saying that. For your good. So the preaching ministry or this teaching ministry, the word saturated in a ministry in Ephesus, first thing we see is it did this. It replaced external dead religion with the transforming faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I'm praying that for some of you in this room even today. Second thing we see in the church at Ephesus, and we're finished. So we saw what happened in the lives of these 12 men. I mean, they went from this dead religion to now true faith in Christ. And the fruit of that were transformed. Second thing we see is this. I want you to turn on to verse 11. So Paul is planning his life there. He's there for two and a half years with this teaching ministry, house to house. And the word is taking center stage. And God's word is going into the lives of people and their understanding in a deep way. And I'm going to walk you through an event here very quickly that happened to make some applications. So hang with me here. Verse 11 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. You say, whoa, what's going on here? Well, there were some pretty extraordinary things happening in the ministry of Paul. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly. When you read things like that in the book of Acts, yes, there are lives being changed. Yes, there are people who are being set free from particular areas of bondage in their life. Yes, but most of these miracles and wonders occurred to validate the message Paul was preaching. Most of these things are not to be read by us to then go and try and replicate. The point was the Bible was not complete at that time. Paul and the apostles and the disciples were still proclaiming the revelation of God that we have complete now. These signs and wonders were to validate that Paul was speaking truth. Okay, Hang on to that, verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted 
to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Say, I don't know what to do with this. Help me. We're talking about exorcists here. It's a little uncomfortable for me. What's happening? Let me give you the general principle of what you're reading there in verse 13. There were guys in Ephesus that when they saw what was happening through Paul and when they saw what was happening in the ministry of of, of the word, tried to mimic in the lives of the people what only Jesus and his word could do. If you miss that, you're going to miss the next few minutes. Let me say that again. You got these Jewish exorcists here who are in Ephesus. They see what Paul is doing and they say, okay, watch this. We're going to try to do it. And they come up with this this chant or this mantra or whatever it is. And they say, we're going to go try to mimic the things that Paul is doing in the name of Jesus. They mimic what was true power. Now watch. How does that turn out for them? Verse 14, seven sons of one Sceva, a dude named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. So Sceva had seven boys and they were out trying to mimic the things that Paul could do. Well, let's see how that turns out. Verse 15, so they go and they try to perform these exorcisms and they try to do all these things that they thought they could do. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, oh, I recognize Jesus. I even know about Paul. Who are you? In other words, your mimicking ministry doesn't work. Your mimicking ministry that's trying to mimic what only Jesus and his work can do, it doesn't work. I don't even know who you are. Keep going. And the man who was possessed by the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, the seven sons of Sceva, and overpowered them so that they fled. So that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The mimickers learned what had real power and what was just fake. And I'm going to quote one of the most noted theologians in the history that you'll ever know. He says this, if you come out of a fight wounded and without your clothes, that's a beat down. Well, amen, Daniel Broyles. what's the point this is incredibly practical for you and me why what's this their empty practices and pursuits were worthless to fight battles in the lives of the people that could only be won through Jesus and the power of his word see that This is so huge for you, church, and for me. Verse 17, this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks there in Ephesus, and fear fell upon all of them. In other words, they were seeing what was true power and what was truly life-shaping and what was just a fake and a counterfeit and what was just trying to mimic the power of God. And the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 17, was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices 
You might want to mark that little word practice. You go to things like witchcraft and things like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with the word practice, fill in anything that you are currently trusting in to advance in Christ's likeness or to grow in your relationship with the Lord or that you think is going to bring you this joy or set you free that's not saturated with God's word. So they were coming and they saw, here's what has real power Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the ministry of the word. And they were coming and confessing all their empty practices. Verse 19, watch this. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. One piece of silver is a day's wage. So you're talking about 50,000 days wages, a lot of money. A lot of investment had been made into things that brought no benefit into their lives. And when they were exposed with something that already that had the power to bring about transformation and to bring about true change. Man, they brought these other things and they were thinking, and they said, we don't want this junk. We know it doesn't bring about any change. We want to be a part of something that brings about true change. We want to fill in these gaps in our life. What? And they knew now it was following Jesus. And listen, the word of God, here's your life application number four. Our lives easily become cluttered with pursuits or practices or whatever it may be, trying to mimic what only knowing Jesus and treasuring his word can do in your life. You hear that? I know I'm risking being just ridiculously oversimplistic, but listen... The city of Ephesus, real city, real people. They had real challenges, real difficulties. They were in real bondage. They had struggles with relationships. They struggled with finances. They struggled with true joy of soul. They struggled with addictions and enslaving sin. They struggled with discouragement and being self-absorbed. They struggled with fear. All those things that you and I can relate to. And Paul shows up and begins dropping the living word of God by the power of the spirit of God into their midst. And you see lives being radically, radically, radically transformed. So here's the application for us this morning. And we're going to close together in just a minute. The team, in fact, can come on up. I, I don't want you to begin to check out. I want you to listen very carefully. Based on what we just read in Ephesians, many of you, myself included at times, are struggling under the weight of broken relationships. I'm talking to believers here. Many of you are struggling with enslaving fear that's just paralyzing to you. It's not a specific fear. It's just a low hum of dread that you don't know how to deal with. Many of you are drill, dealing with overwhelming sin and addiction right now. I'm just going to be clear because this is such a burden for me. There are some of you in this room, gentlemen, that are enslaved to addiction, to pornography, and you don't know how to beat it, and it's killing you. 
And you are having those moments of asking, where is the true power? And you're chasing this, and you're chasing that, and you're trying to come up with all these formulas and all these ways, apart from what knowing Jesus, following Jesus, and saturating your heart, your mind, your life with his living word can alone do in your life. Some of you are struggling with general apathy. There's just this apathy of soul. and You don't know why it's there. You're trying to pursue fixes and pursuits that have no power. And like the sons of Sceva, it leaves you beaten down and exposed. And some of you are living there. Listen, one of the transformational things about the ministry that we see in the city of Ephesus was this saturation of the word of the living God into the lives of the people. I'm just going to be as clear with you as I can because I love you this much. If you're trying to fight sin and you're trying to pursue holiness and you're trying to find joy and you're trying to seek identity and you're trying to grow in your relationship... And the word of God and understanding it deeply and growing in the treasure of God's word does not have place in your life, then you are seeking things that have no power. And man, like the sons of Sceva, you're just going to be left beat up and frustrated and exposed. Tim Keller said this, he said, Lord, I rejoice in forgiveness of sin and all that is mine in Christ, but I still limp along, half crippled by fears, self-pity, anger, self-consciousness, and discouragement. All could, be, all could be helped so much more if I would simply take the truths of the gospel more to heart. Help me, Lord, to bring your word into deep understanding into my daily life. To give place, to place myself under, study, read, feast, under the teaching of the Word of God. It is transformational for you. Oh, I want that for you. I want that for you. Paul wrote back to the church at Ephesus. I'll just ask you to do this. I, Let's ask you as, as we kind of prepare to move into somewhat of a response time. I want to ask you to bow your head for just a minute and don't go into that as a habit. I, I ask you to do that because I want you to just ponder some things that we've said this morning from God's Word. I'm going to read some things over you. And then our team's going to sing over you. Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Paul wrote back to the church at Ephesus later, and he said, Put on, the sal put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as your weapon. Some of you are battling with things in your life and you're battling with tools and practices and habits that are powerless when God has entrusted His Word to you by His Spirit to bring about 
transformation of your soul day by day by day by day. Closing illustration, and I'll pray for you, and we'll be finished. There's a certain type of tree called a scrub oak. All trees that are not evergreen trees lose their leaves in the fall, but the scrub oak loses its leaves in the spring. You say, how does that happen in the spring? The winds don't cause it to lose its old dead leaves. The warm temperatures don't cause the scrub oak to lose its old dead leaves that are clinging onto it. There's only one thing that causes the scrub oak to lose its old dead leaves that are hanging onto it, and it's this. It's the new growth of spring. And when that tree is growing and the life is flowing through that tree, it presses out all those dead things that are clinging on and new life presses out the old. Listen, here's how you fight sin in your life. You grow in Christ and Christ in you presses out all that junk in your life. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning and I pray you'd let us experience true soul transformation. God, I pray that the word of God would take deep root into our lives and we would give place to your word in our lives. We love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' great and mighty name that we pray.